This morning we continue our series, Ask Me Anything, sermon series, and I've been assigned the following submitted question. This was sent to us by one of your fellow members. Are all of the different denominations in the Christian church good or bad? What are the pros and cons of denominationalism within the church? It's a good question. I've thought about that question for many years of my ministry. As a matter of fact, as I look back upon the history and the ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I have seen three reasons why we have grown. Uh, number one, uh, we have grown because of immigration. Lutheran Christians immigrated from Europe to America, and for about 60 years this produced growth. The second reason is biological growth. The immigrants had large families, and for 60 years in our church we had more baptisms than we had funerals, and so we grew. And the third reason we grew was the next 60 years, what I call denominational loyalty. Because of the strong Christian education emphasis, our large families, when they grew up and moved from the inner city to the suburbs or from the farms to the suburbs, like Westlake here, and started new churches, they remained denominationally faithful because they were grounded in good Christian education. Well, of course, those three haven't worked for the last several decades. There are no more Lutherans immigrating from other lands to us here in America, and we no longer have biological growth. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. There are more funerals now than there are baptisms. And denominational loyalty? I have observed that parents really don't pray that their, uh, their young people date Lutherans anymore. They just pray that they might date and fall in love with some other Christian. Just any other Christian will do, right? So let's talk about denominations within the Christian church. And we'll consider this topic in three parts. First of all, some biblical teaching from the epistle and the gospel that I just shared. And, and then I want to talk to you about the fact that maybe it's not that big of a deal, uh, the divisions into denominations within the Christian church. And then, before I finish, I'll explain, hopefully, that this is a pretty big deal, this whole matter of divisions within the Christian church. So our gospel lesson today takes us to that night in which Jesus was betrayed, and he's there praying to his father before he is crucified. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all might be one. So let's make it very clear here from the beginning. The biblical teaching is that the Christian church be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that why? Why is it important that we be one, that we be united? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, the gospel. And then our namesake, St. Paul, says very clearly in the epistle lesson for today, there is only one body of Christ, only one church, only one spirit. You were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. St. Paul says we only have one Lord. 
So if we start our consideration of the Christian church then with Pentecost, and we say that the day of Pentecost is the birth of the Christian church, that day when Jesus poured his Holy Spirit down and 3,000 at least and more were baptized, that day when the disciples spoke in many different languages the good news of the gospel, and they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit of the living God, and the church was born, and that day they were all one. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 4 tells us, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. They had everything in common. They were all one. For one day. But then a couple of them broke off and selfishly held, held on to what they had. Instead of giving it all for the common good, maybe you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And soon the Greek believers were complaining that their widows were not getting as much in the distribution as the Jewish widows were, and the apostles had to appoint deacons in order to handle all the complaints. And even among their apostles there arose disputes Eventually, even between the great leader of the church, St. Peter, and the great missionary of the church, St. Paul, Paul writes in, to the Galatians and he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. These two great giants of the church almost came to blows. And eventually they had to have even a, a whole convention in Jerusalem to deal with the different things that had divided them already. What in the world is going on here? sin is going on here. And the further we get away from that day of Pentecost, the further we get away from they all are one. And yet today we are still able to make the bold confession as we do in the Nicene Creed that we believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. There is only one Christian church. And as for all the denominations, there is a sense in which we might say they're really not that big of a deal. Now let me explain. Chuck Colson, as a part of his conversion years, years ago, wrote this. He wrote, everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to everyone who belongs to Jesus. Right? The unity that we share in the church we share in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, whose Spirit bestows to each one of us the gift of faith. All Christians are one in Christ. At least we are united in that important truth. We believe that the one true God has revealed himself to us in three unique personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of the eight billion people who populate the face of the earth today, it is estimated that two billion of them, about 25%, make their confession in the words of the Apostles' Creed. The same creed that you and I use in our confession. So that's amazing. We all subscribe to the Trinity, the Father who created the world, the Son who was conceived, born, suffered, died, rose again, 
ascended into heaven, right? Sits at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Christian Church. We all believe in the Trinity. We all believe in John 3.16. All the denominations of the Christian Church love that verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? And we also all believe that the Bible is a book all unto itself because it's God's Word, sacred scriptures. On these great truths, the church is one. Oh, there may be as many as 40,000 denominations that somebody or the other has counted all around the world. Too big of a number for me. There might be 200 denominations right here in America. It's still too big of a number for me. Practically speaking, in our community, there's only about a dozen denominations. Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Reformed, Anglican, Disciples of Christ, we could add the uh, uh, Church of God, Pentecost, and of course, non-denominationals. Now, some things that divide us into those dozen denominations are significant. Others, not so much. But I believe today, before we go any further, we need to celebrate the unity that we do have as Christians. Let's not go any further this morning with without celebrating what two billion people on the face of the earth agree upon. There's enough things we disagree upon. But these are the basics of what we agree upon. And let's understand something else very clearly this morning. The members of these denominations are not our enemies, nor are they the focus of our missionary efforts. They are the blood-bought souls that our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and that by the grace of God, the same grace of God by which we are saved, we will spend eternity in heaven with. So if you want to spend your energy fighting for truth, then let's spend that energy fighting our enemy. Now, who is our enemy? Well, let's be clear, it is Satan, and it is the forces of unbelief all around us. Who should be the target of our missionary efforts? It should be the lost, and the unchurched, and the dechurched, and the unbeliever, and the scoffer, and they are all around us. And as I stand here at the end of my pastoral ministry, somewhere near it at least, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm a lot more concerned about the backsliding unchurched Lutheran than I am with the active member of Bay Presbyterian or Rocky River Methodist. Now, with that being said, what about all the issues that do divide us among the denominations of the Christian church? Isn't holding on to the truth as we have come to know it in Jesus Christ, isn't that a big deal, Pastor? And I say to you, yes, it is. As in the first century after Pentecost, that which divides us into denominations has come about because we have approached the clear and wonderful word of God and placed it under human interpretation. And we have passed through history those different interpretations 
and we have ended up here in 2023 divided. I'll share just a couple of issues. There are many others, just as examples. Lutherans, baptism for example, Lutherans believe that we are born sinful. We believe that the wages of sin is death, and of course that infants even can die, and some do. But we also believe that infants can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith that is given in the sacrament of holy baptism. Now many churches in the Reformed branch of Christianity do not believe children are accountable for their sins until they are old enough to be able to understand what God expects of them. Only then can they become accountable. And they can't come to faith, they can't be what's called baptized with the Holy Spirit until they make a decision in their life to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And so they have an age of accountability, they have an age of discretion, and as a result, water baptism is not done in those churches until after faith has already come as a result of the power of the Holy Word. Now the end result, the end result eventually, is a baptized child of God. It's the same. No big deal, huh? Well, we believe it is a big deal, huh? We're dealing with the understanding of what God has revealed to us about our sinful condition by birth and about the miracle of faith that he promises in the waters of holy baptism. It is a big deal that parents don't just dedicate their babies and then withhold from them this wonderful promise that was fulfilled when Jesus said, unless you come, unless you believe like one of these little nursing babies, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's dividing us in the church. Want another one? How about women's ordination? That divides even Lutherans. The Bible reveals an order within God's creation that shares with us God's primary will that the man should exercise headship within the family in the same way that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and that women should submit obedience in the same way that the church gladly submits obedience to Christ. That's God's primary will for good order and decency. Of course, then sin came and a lot of men have failed to lead like Christ leads. And a lot of women have failed to gladly obey. And it is true, if the man is a spiritual jerk, then God be praised for the secondary will of God that a lot of faithful women will pick up the gospel, the spiritual pieces, and lead the family. Praise God. My mother was a spiritual leader in our household. And the same is applicable to the office of pastor within the church. God's primary will is that the shepherds, the bishops, the overseers, the elders in the New Testament were all men. But if the men fail in their role as spiritual leaders in the church, then God be praised for faithful women who will pick up the pieces and lead the church. Women's ordination. Some people would say, no big deal. But following God's primary will 
for decency, decency and order in the church, it is a big deal. Well, what about some other things like praying to the saints, huh? to Mary? How about double predestination? Smoking, dancing, gambling, buying life insurance, wearing hats to church to cover your head. How about the Lord's Supper? When should we allow children to partake of the sacrament? And communion, right? Uh, common cup or individual cup? Wine or grape juice? Is marriage a sacrament? Do we anoint the sick with oil? How about last rites? All of these and dozens of others are indeed big deals because they all touch at the heart. They all touch at the heart of what God has revealed in His holy will. So a couple lessons to close with. For, first of all, as Lutherans, we ought to praise God for the DNA that is a part of us. We are a teaching church. And again, during the weeks of Lent this year, we're going to read and preach our way through one of our 500-year-old confessions, Luther's small catechism. Why? Well, one of the reasons is so that we make sure that we are straight on what is and what isn't a big deal in this whole matter of the Christian faith. Second lesson, we ought to praise God that just like we have a confession like the small catechism, the Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession, and the Roman Catholics have Vatican VI and Vatican VII, Vatican II, Pope Papal Encyclicals. You know, there are labels on the Christian churches that tell us what they believe. Thank God for the labels. And praise God that all Christians are part of that one holy Christian apostolic church. And our mission is not to try to convert one another, but to go after the world of unbelief. Not using our energy necessarily to tear one another down, but using our energy to reach out to the lost and those who are headed for a Christless eternity so that we can declare as Jesus prayed in the garden. Huh? He was praying for those who through us will become part of the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. I pray it for all of us for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. In his name, amen. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you for making us a part of the one holy Christian apostolic church. We thank you for those who have gone before us within our Lutheran tradition and have passed down for 500 years the truth of your holy word. We pray, O oh Lord, for all Christian churches, those who name Jesus Christ as Lord, those who praise you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those who love John 3.16 as a gospel in a nutshell, and those who hold your holy word as the sole, the sole norm for faith and life. We pray that all Christian churches would be blessed, O Lord, this day, and that we might take up our role as Lutherans to become a strong voice, to take a stand for that which we believe, to become more and more united in Jesus Christ, who desires us to all be one. We pray it in Jesus' special name. Amen.